Lou Fowl will take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Sun Devils one and three. Here comes pressure in the face of Wilkins. He got hit. He got sacked at a 20-yard line. And that one's an old doubter for Jimmy Gilbert. You know, when you come to the program, when we came here, you're going to have to develop it. We recruited extremely hard, and we recruited some really good football players, as you can see now. But when we signed them, everybody said, like, who are those guys? And they had to get a little bit bigger, and they had to get a little bit stronger, and they had to play. So how we were with them every day in every facet is how you develop and build a program. Now we're fortunate. We're signing some guys that are a little bit more developed down the road. But you still have to do the same process, just the process should go a little quicker. Um, and uh, and hopefully you don't have to you won't have to play as many young guys all at one time. You're just putting them in there at different places, and then for when you do that, you're reloading. You're not totally rebuilding a program. And we we shouldn't ever have to rebuild. We should just have to reload. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. As always, Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, we heard a sound bit there in the intro. McIntyre talking about building this program to the point where they can reload instead of having to continually rebuild. Uh, music to the ears of Colorado fans out there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd like to see us get bowl eligible first before we get too far into it, I suppose. Sure, but, sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think even though we're losing eight defensive starters next year, you talk about guys who are going to be replacing those starters, and we're, we, we know a lot more about those guys than we have in years past. You know, sometimes in the past three or four years, you'd lose a senior and you don't know who's going to come in and replace them. And if you do know who it's going to be, you haven't seen them on the field a whole lot, uh, especially on the D-line. Obviously, we're going to lose a lot of talent there, but we've seen a lot from Jace Frankie, Tim Coleman, um, guys Leo, that you're Leo going to Jackson. see. Yeah, Leo Jackson, thank you. Guys that you're going to see play a lot next year. So that's a comforting feeling for sure. Um, and then obviously bringing in a bunch of four-star talent on your incoming freshman classes every single year is going to do a lot of wonders for your program's talent as well. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that Arizona State win, look ahead to the Stanford game, talk about the big recruiting weekend. I've got an interview with Ryan Moeller. Of course, we do the Buff Stampede mailbag every week, Tyler Ziskin's power rankings every week, and then we've got a few topics to finish off on. I will share some of my thoughts from that open men's basketball scrimmage. Colorado outgained Arizona State 580 to 199, a 24-point victory. A game that, honestly, Tyler, should have been more lopsided on the scoreboard than it was. Unquestionably the most impressive performance of, of the McIntyre era? I don't know. It's really hard to say because it should have been worse. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's nice to know that you, they basically coasted in the second half and still dominated easily. But at the same time, no one deserves to get crushed into the ground more than Arizona State, and it would have been nice to see them actually do so. Uh, special teams, obviously, not a great performance at all. But I'd say overall, I guess it'd be up there with a bunch of the other ones. Um, I would have had Oregon, but they've obviously have turned out to be not as good as we sure. expected there. The CSU win was pretty dominating. I mean, that was in a more like, obviously it's CSU, but we did what we needed to do and then took our foot off the gas and made them feel embarrassed. Like, I think Arizona State, we let stick around a little bit longer than we could have. But at the end of the day, we've never beaten Arizona State 
it was just like an easy win. Like it was, yeah. there was no, it was a lot of frustration in terms of how we were playing and not putting them away, but there wasn't any frustration in terms of, oh, we're we are gonna lose this game. Yeah, I mean the game that you could tell right away that they're just a level of talent on the field. They had no chance of scoring three times, which they needed to do in the second half. Yeah, I would say this was the most dominating performance, but I still think for the importance of this program turning the corner, you still point to that Oregon game and just how big a deal that was. And that's really the first time people started taking notice of Colorado was that game. I don't care how bad Oregon is. They're still really tough to beat in that Autzen Stadium. Cephal Lufau obviously comes back against the Sun Devils. I didn't see any rust at all, which I, you thought you'd see a little bit. 23 of 31 passing, no turnovers, 303 yards and Somebody pointed this out at the press luncheon this week. It looked like he was a conductor out there. It was yeah. it really mechanical just how everything worked with him behind center. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit when he came in to replace an injured Montez the week before. It, the offense just runs so much more fluid with him on the field. And that's just a product of him being a senior. That's nothing against Montez. He just has this, and he knows it like the back of his hand at this point. Every single play they come in, he knows exactly what's going on and where everybody's supposed to be. And the pace is just so much quicker because he knows what everybody's supposed to be doing out there. He's just a senior leader, and that's why I go back to him. I mean, he was in full control that entire game. Uh, didn't throw a touchdown pass, didn't need to. Just a dominating performance overall, though. Didn't give Arizona State any room to breathe on off, or on defense. Defensively, you had to smile at some of the things Addison Gillum did in that football game. Really back to freshman form. It almost looked at times like... Uh, uh, Manny Wilkins had uh, an Addison Gillum magnet. It was just like <laughs> incredible. I, and I looked at the stats and I was surprised. It seemed like Gillum was on his back almost all day. He only had a couple of tackles for a loss, but a lot of quarterback hurries where he got to hit him after Manny Wilkins got rid of the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they re- unleashed the beast. Uh, it, like I said, uh, they trust the cornerbacks now and are basically bringing blitz packages as, as much as they can, I guess I would say. Uh, he was just released from the backfield on late blitzes, delayed blitzes all over the field. Just unbelievable performance, and Manny Wilkins is sore this week. I can guarantee you that because Addison Gillum was bringing the noise. Mike McIntyre was asked about Addison Gillum at his press conference this week, and he got a little emotional. Here's that audio. How close is Addison Gillum to being the player he was in the freshman year? Wow. Um, He is right there. He's right there now. Uh, You know, he, uh, oh, it's just been turmoil. That's just the best way to explain it. It's been turmoil for him. And uh, for, to see him walk, I'm gonna, I might start crying. To see him walk through it like he has, um, has been, pretty inspirational to say the least. And uh, the way he's played these last few games, um, I, when he hit Manny, I said, ooh, and then at the same time I'm going, I hope Manny's not hurt. I really did say that in my mind. And now that he's 230-something and he can run like he could before and he has that smile on his face, and um, I always tease him about his hair flowing, but I love seeing that hair flow when he runs. <laughs> and uh, it's just been awesome. And the kids have rallied around him because they realize what he is, and they've seen him fight through all those things. And uh, it's been pretty. It's been really awesome, and it's been a great life lesson not only for him but for me. It's been a great life lesson for our team, and uh, um, I just hope and pray that he stays healthy and keeps playing because um, it's a lot of fun to watch him play, and he gets pure joy out of it.
And so do I. <laughs> Tyler, you can tell when Mike McIntyre talks about his players that it, this, it's not lip service when he says he's a father to all these guys. And uh, he sometimes takes a little flack for the emotion he shows after big wins. But uh, I, I love it, man. I like to see mm-hmm. that the, the, the head coach cares. And, and the players really – it helps for, the, for them to buy in when they know their head coach is not some slimy salesman. You think of like Butch Jones almost coming here. I don't think he would ever have that type of connection with his players. Yeah, I, mean, I love it as well. Uh, I love somebody who cares about the program, I and mean, that's what you want, especially for us as fans. You want to see somebody who truly cares about the kids, truly cares about the program, and he wants his guys to be successful, and that's everything you want in a head coach. And obviously Addison Gillum has had a tough road, so he has a soft spot for him as well, especially coming from San Jose area uh, where he came from as well. Uh, he had a connection with him before he even got to Colorado, so – yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you like to see the emotion and you're you know, just as happy for Addison for him to be successful as well. Jimmy Gilbert, Kenneth Olobode, and Akilah Witherspoon have seemingly had it all come together for them. You know, we expected, we talked in the preseason about thinking maybe one or two of these guys could have it click, and it's just those three guys in particular defensively are playing at an all-conference level, whereas we saw some bright spots from them in the, in the past, but nothing like we've seen from them this year. Yeah, definitely. All three of them are, have been unbelievable. Kell is a true lockdown corner at this point. I mean, both sides of the field, you feel confident that no one's going to go deep for you for a touchdown. Uh, I mean, all these guys, I think, are going to continue to see NFL looks. We'll see if they get drafted. But, uh, I mean, it's just unbelievable the level of production these guys have given you. Um, all undersized. I guess what you would like for you know for the next level, but performing at a great, a tremendous level in the college is it's it huge for us. Is it Witherspoon developed into what we always wanted Kenneth Crawley to develop into? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely has uh, a bigger, a better eye for the ball. Um, doesn't have a ton of ints either, but at the same time, he's making a lot of plays on the ball, and he's just a true cover. I mean, even even when he does get beat, he's right there for the coverage. I mean, it's incredible. It seems like he's basically attached to every guy he goes down the field with. Offensively. Who's your most improved? I've got some nominees here for you. Jared Coe on the offensive line. Bryce Bobo. He had his first 100-yard receiving game against the Sun Devils. Of course, has made his way onto Sports Center's top 10 countdown a couple of times. And then I'm going to throw Cephal Lufau in there. Do you have a right in, or, or is that? Yeah, I mean, I would say Devin Ross is right in there as well. Okay. Um, I think he's probably the most important guy because you need to have that elite level speed guy on the inside, especially on third downs. You use him on slants all the time. Seems like he. Uh, gets them out of holes a lot of the time. But to me, it's got to be Bryce Bobo. I mean, a guy that you saw a lot of potential in the last few years in terms of quickness, but now he's actually performing on the field, getting on the field, and has had huge numbers, especially the last few weeks. We thought early in the year he'd be the third best guy and be like, ah, he can beat the nickel or whatever. He's beating number one guys now. Uh, Kareem Moore, who's one of their best defensive players on Arizona State, was getting absolutely demolished by Bobo all day. could see him talking a lot of trash back and forth to each other. Uh, so to me, Bobo's the, the main one. Uh, Jared Coe has been huge as well, though, on the interior of the offense. Do you think other teams are starting to game plan against Devin Ross now? Because it seems like ever since he went off in that Oregon game, it's been a little tougher for him to find some of those teams. Yeah, but I, that's a good thing, though. I mean, because we, sure. we have three guys. I think, that's, I think that's where you start to see the level of talent we have is that one of the, you, they haven't been able to stop all three guys yet. Somebody's gone off every single week. Whether it's Shea, whether it's Ross, whether it's Bobo. Bobo, the last two weeks, I would say, has been the guy that's really stepped up. Now they're going to start keying on Bobo. Devin Ross and Shea Fields will go off. That's kind of what's nice about having talent all over the field. 
obviously the the biggest black mark from that Arizona State game was Jay McIntyre's struggles as a punt returner. It's really the first time we've seen him not look comfortable yeah. in that role. You can include practices in there as well. It was kind of surprising. Uh, people have brought up the theory that maybe because it was a left-footed punter, the ball's coming in there differently. It looked like he wasn't seeing the ball come in very well. He was definitely second-guessing himself. The first one, he should have returned but didn't. The next one was the one where he should have called a fair catch, but he didn't and fumbled. Then there was the other one where he should have fair caught it and didn't, and the ball rolled to like the five-yard line. Five, yeah. And then he obviously had the one muffed later where he got injured, had a concussion. I understand people being really frustrated and being very critical of that. Absolutely. But just don't bring nepotism in. It has nothing to do with that. This is a guy that throughout all practices was the best player on the team for that role and might be going forward. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But I understand people having frustration with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was an ugly performance. I mean, about as ugly as performance as you could have as a punt yeah. returner. He definitely, even on the ones he caught and returned, you could tell he was struggling tracking the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was partially because it was a night game. I'm not sure if that was the first night game he's returned punts in, maybe. It certainly looked like it. Obviously, that's not an excuse, though. I mean, that's your job. Yeah, no, I agree. But he was definitely uncomfortable. Even even on the ones he returned, it was was ugly overall performance. It was tough to watch. But it was just crazy surprising to me because we haven't seen any of that from him. I mean, I can't remember too many muffs in practice, games, anything where he didn't look 100% solid back there. So it was definitely one bad game, really, really terrible, awful game. I'd be surprised if they don't go right back to him when he's healthy. He's proven for the two years he's been here, he's the best punt returner on the team. And he was successful all year up until this point. Uh, we'll see if he's broken. I, I imagine he's probably not. He seems like a pretty tough kid. But, yeah, it was it was uh, frustrating to watch for sure and a little bit surprising in general just because we haven't seen anything from that. Yeah, he was fourth in the Pac-12 in punt return average before the Arizona State game. So I would be absolutely fine with him getting a second chance back there. Yeah. If he has struggles again, then I, then you've got to make a change, though. Yeah, definitely. I think the problem is that there's not really a guy that makes a whole lot of sense to replace him. Obviously, you don't want to burn a red shirt and Ronnie Blackman send him back there. He's probably the next most talented guy. The last time they took him out, they had Isaiah Oliver out there. I'm not sure he's a guy that you really want returning punts. Uh, maybe they tried Jewel Meese. I'm not sure. But uh, I think for now, they, you probably got to go back to him and give him a chance to redeem himself. Jewel Meese would be the best in terms of, you know, after the catch. But the consistency hadn't been there in, in practices from him there. And that's the main thing, as we saw with Jay McIntyre not catching the ball. That can be an issue very quickly. The guy that might have that role going forward just committed to the Buffaloes on Tuesday night, Katie Nixon. We'll get more into him as we do some recruiting talk. But uh, let's talk real quick about the Stanford Cardinal. Obviously, this is not a team that's striking fear in anyone's heart right now. But at the same time, because they have struggled, maybe we're underestimating them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we are to some degree. I mean, they did beat USC and UCLA, now Notre Dame, obviously, who's been terrible as well. But it was at Notre Dame. I mean, you can't just completely dismiss all of these wins that they've had. Uh, They're definitely not what we thought they were going to be. There's no doubt about that. But we're not what we thought we were going to be either. So uh, I think people are expecting it to be a tight game. And I think that's a reasonable expectation. Uh, We've definitely caught up to them in terms of talent pretty quickly. Our offense is definitely more explosive than theirs. Their defense has been way better than ours in years past, and I think that's much closer now. So I expect a close game. How important is this game in terms of CU's chances of winning the Pac-12 South? Uh, pretty important, I guess. <laughs> um, it's definitely not a must-win by any stretch. Uh, we can afford to lose one more, I think, and comfortably find ourselves in a good position to win the conference. 
two, you're going to get yourself in a little bit of trouble. I mean, you look at USC schedule, they really only have one game that I think for sure is going to be a loss. The rest of them are pretty winnable. Uh, they play at Washington. That's the one. So they're going to finish six and three pretty likely in conference and they lo- they beat us. So uh, you're going to obviously need a tiebreaker situation there. Um, so I think we can afford to lose one more. This is probably the most likely of the five, maybe that in Washington state at home, I guess I would say, but I mean, if you get the win, you have to feel really good about where you stand yeah. down the stretch. If Colorado wins this game, I think there's you could envision a scenario where two wins wins the two losses wins the South. But there's a very good chance still that three loss a three loss team is going to win the South. Mm-hmm. You mentioned USC; that would probably be the the likely candidate, especially given that they have the tiebreaker over CU. I'm actually more scared of USC in that Pac-12 South race right now than I am of Utah, yeah. which only has one loss at this point. USC has just seemingly figured out with Sam Darnold. We saw that firsthand a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think they're the more talented team, even though they lost to Utah. But we, have, if you watch the fourth quarter yeah. of that game, you know that USC let that one get away for sure. Um, so US, or Utah does have the tiebreaker over USC. So if they all end up at 6-3, and three, it's just going to be a cluster, and we'll have to figure it out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a very real possibility 6-3 and three will win the division. Well, within the matter of 25 hours, Colorado picked up commitments from two players from DeSoto High School. You already know what that means. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Commitments. 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 So between them, Xavier Newman and Katie Nixon had 38 total reported offers. As a Colorado fan, you never get sick of hearing that. All these offers that these kids have, you know, the combined offers. Yeah, I mean, these are both, I mean, Xavier Newman was committed to Texas. <laughs> they, they don't take just anybody, you know what I mean? Definitely didn't think going into this year we'd be stealing recruits from Texas. And Oklahoma, too. I mean, a lot of people thought for a while that he was going to switch and flip to Oklahoma. He was seriously considering them as well. Uh, Katie Nixon, kind of shocked he doesn't, like, Tennessee, obviously, he was committed there. But most of the other big-time schools that were looking at him, not a lot of schools in Texas looking at Katie Nixon outside of Texas. Which they're going to regret. Yeah. I mean, I just, you can't, he's small. There's no doubt about it. But we see that every single team that that has a spread offense, especially, has a small dude who's faster than everybody that kills it. In college football, that really doesn't matter a whole lot to me. He's going to be dynamic as a returner. There's just no way he's not successful for us. Nixon is the type of guy that Oregon and right. Arizona State would always just have so much success. Those versatile guys that can mm-hmm. play out of the backfield, go in the slot role. There's actually another guy that's on the Texas commit list right now that's never been mentioned on buffstampede.com that's going to visit in December. So I'm throwing a little tease out there. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm going to find out now. <laughs> Nixon is actually now the Buffs' top-ranked commit. He's a top 200 prospect nationally, ranked as a third-best athlete prospect in the Midland region. I know, Tyler, that this is one of the commits you're the most excited about because you were mentioning that before he even committed. It was a guy that you were really excited about. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think I talk about this in every sport. I do the same thing with Tad Boyle all the time. I don't care what position he plays or how big or small he is. The kid can play football, and in our system, he's going to be successful. The same reason that a lot of the kids that Tad recruits are successful, a lot of the same reason that the guys you see are juniors and seniors on this team have been successful. You, you recruit guys to fit a system. That's what you run. 
that's what you do here. Katie Nixon is a guy that probably wouldn't work as effectively maybe in most Big Ten programs, but he's not in the Big Ten. He's playing for us in the Pac-12, and there's no way that he's not going to be an electrifying weapon there. You know DeSoto's a powerhouse because they put GPS trackers yeah. on their players this year, and they yeah. track Katie Nixon at 25.3 miles per hour. Uh, that is, I, I think on his like profile, they list him with like a 4, 5, 7, 40. Yeah, Come if, on. He's, if he's if running 40, 25 miles an hour, he doesn't run a 4, 5, 7. I'll tell you that. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. It's like the opposite. You always talk about like Montez having that long stride where he picks up chunks of yards. You watch Katie Nixon's legs, and they just not they, they just move <laughs> faster than everybody else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's got a low center of gravity. Uh, the thing I think I really love about him is that he's built. He's really stocky, though. So he's not kind of like Kyle Evans is right now. He's always oh, so small. He's going to go down so easily, but he doesn't because he gets incredible leverage and he's really low base with a stocky frame. Katie Nixon's that same way. Katie Nixon has the added element of unbelievable top-end speed. And you like both Gabe Brooks and Greg Powers, our Texas recruiting analyst for Scott, both come on our board and talk about how Katie Nixon's a football player. He's not one of those track athletes trying to play football. He's a tough guy. And they talk about how he's a great teammate. He's always bringing over his teammates to try to get interviewed, to show them love. So you like hearing some of those intangible things as well from, from the kid. Xavier Newman plays offensive tackle primarily there at the high school level for DeSoto, but we project him as a guard or a center. Anything that stands out to you about him, obviously, a ton of offers. 20, 20 FBS schools wanted his signature. Yeah, I mean, massive frame. Uh, guy that you expect to go inside. Um, assuming that he plays within the first two or three years he's on campus, you're going to have a couple of years of him sitting next to Tim Line not on the offensive line, which you have to feel really, really good about. We're going to have some road graders here pretty soon. I think this program is going to be really fun to watch offensively the next three or four years. Greg Rogers already visited Colorado, top 10 defensive tackle nationally. He's telling everyone behind the scenes that he's leaning towards the Buffaloes. He expects to be a buff in the future. We'll see if that holds until early December when he makes that announcement. That would obviously be another huge commitment. Josh Follow, four-star tight end, who everybody, including Alabama, wants, now apparently is leaning towards Colorado. Trajan Cotton, his teammate there at Intercom, also now apparently leaning towards Colorado. It's kind of crazy how when momentum gets rolling in recruiting, how it can just really feed on itself. Definitely. Um, you like to get those guys committed, though, because the farther away you get from your visit, those, those feelings tend to wear off a little bit. I think you have to feel really good about where you sit with all three of those guys, though. Um, Cotton, I think it's probably going to come down to us or... Uh, Nebraska is what it seems like in that scenario. I'd still be worried about USC and UCLA with Greg Rogers, especially if USC writes the ship and finishes strong in the South. That uh, he they've always been considered for him, uh, you know. It, but Greg Rogers is a guy that he would alleviate your defensive line issues next year immediately. I mean, he's going to play 100% if he comes to Colorado next year. I feel pretty confident in that. So that would be the biggest one to me. And uh, Damian Daniels, a, a, a nose tackle guy that would fit into that role really really well, has not visited Colorado yet, but he's now all of a sudden leaning towards Colorado as well. So December, January, those are going to be fun months to, to follow our recruiting coverage. We'll obviously get into that maybe a little bit more so next week with the bye week. Right now, let's get into an interview I had with junior defensive back slash, I guess, outside linebacker Ryan Muller. Ryan, you've been playing both safety and close to the line of scrimmage. Have you enjoyed kind of uh, adding versatility to, to your game a little bit this year? I, I just enjoy playing, you know, and I definitely like being physical. And so when they got me down there, I get to do both. So I definitely get happy, you know. 
When you're up close to the line of scrimmage, is that more of like an outside linebacker role or more of a nickelback role? How, how would you kind of describe that? Uh, I guess it's a little bit of both. Uh, wait, Tumpkin, Coach Tumpkin told me is that I'm a glorified linebacker. So. Okay. What, 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 are the, uh, what do you need to do well in that role to succeed? Uh, you know, I got to keep strong and stay stout. I really got to set an edge and I got to read keys just like I would um, if I were on the back end, you know, a few different jobs down, down low. But uh, in the end, I got to just do my job and then all the other keys will pretty much fall in place. Do you kind of split your time between safety and linebacker when, when you're in practice? Yeah, I'm definitely taking reps at both just so, you know, I'm, I, I can I can still play safety, you know, I don't want to forget that at all. Um, but I would say the majority of my time, you know, is spent between both of them, I guess, yeah. Being able to throw different packages out there, I would imagine that uh, it makes it tougher on opposing offenses, kind of game planning for you guys. Yeah, I, uh, I think it shakes it up a little bit, but... Um, I think it gives us a little more, uh, a little bit of speed and different looks, definitely, when uh, we're in these different packages, which is pretty nice. But we have different guys that we can kind of plug in here and there and, uh, to get the job done. Preparing for Stanford, do you go with the mindset that you're expecting to see Christian McCaffrey out there? How do you prepare for this Cardinal team? Uh, we're going to prepare as if we're going to see everyone, we're going to see their best team. Um, and so we're expecting to see him, we're expecting to see uh, everyone on their offense to play and to come out swinging. And so will we. Obviously, they had success against you guys here in Folsom Field last year. Is there uh, a kind of a feeling you really want to kind of prove that, that you can handle this team and be more physical with them this year? I don't think, I don't know if proves the right word I would use, but I would definitely say that we're, uh, we have a chip on our shoulder. You know, last year it wasn't a good feeling getting walked all over on our, our own field. And so, you know, this year throughout our whole season and, and offseason, everything's been doing our job and, and being tough, being packed. We want to be packed 12 champions on and off the field. And so we're not going to go in there and uh, hope to win or uh, try our best. We're going to do our best, and it's going to turn out how it turns out. You guys made pretty good strides in your first year under Jim Lovett, and then now this year you're ranked first in the Pac-12 in total defense. Uh, was there a time you realized as a player that, that this defense had a chance to be this good? I think when I started realizing the defense was, was really uh, going to be some special, and, and it still can be even more so, you know, but the the how everyone meshes together, the camaraderie everyone has, and uh, everyone's become more, a lot more close there, and, and we're able to trust each other to get our jobs done, you know, before maybe may, may not have really all been there, but I definitely say now that everyone trusts everyone else that they're out there with, I would say 100%, and we can get the job done. By your body language out there, it almost seems like you expect perfection as a defense at times. Is Every time you go out there, do you go with the mindset you're going to get a three and out? Yeah, and I think we, we definitely go out there expecting to um, <laughs> get out as soon as we can, but we know that's not going to happen and we're going to have to strain at times. And uh, Coach Levitt definitely preaches that, and he preaches uh, you being ready to be able to strain. And um, when we go out there with the confidence, you know, if we don't have confidence, then you're kind of in the wrong place, you know. And so we definitely have the confidence to get the job done, I would say. You came here as a walk-on, earned a scholarship. You're a proven player. The team's winning football games. Has this all kind of worked out the way maybe you had hoped, or is it even better than you could have envisioned? I think it's working out great. I think it's working out better than maybe I could have envisioned. It's kind of tough to tell the what-ifs, you know, and that's that's why I chose to come here is because I didn't want to have the what-ifs. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my choice. I was happy when I came here. I was happy the year after that, and I was happy last year, and I'm happy now. So, yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. All right, that was uh, some good stuff from Ryan, the pride of Rifle, Colorado. Yeah, man, he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I mean, really 
I guess proud is the wrong word, but just really, it's I'm having a great time watching him play football in this new role. He seems to love it, and he's basically smoothest transition possible. He looks really comfortable out there, and he's really helped the defense. You forget that this was a former walk-on. He yeah. certainly doesn't play or look like yeah, one out there. You have questions, and we have answers. Well, at least these guys think they do. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. At Kenny underscore Jace, number of wins you guys predict now? This is a, a kind of a weekly question we get here. I think. <laughs> yeah. I think um, I'm gonna say solidly eight now. Yeah, I feel I feel pretty comfortable with eight. Uh, I someone on the board asked earlier, and I said anything from seven to nine, I think is reasonably realistic. Uh, going five and zero, oh, probably not realistic. Uh, going zero oh and five would be a total disaster. Uh, even one and four, I think people would be pretty disappointed, even though we'd be bowl eligible. And on a general season-long scale, that's obviously a huge win for the program. But uh, we've gotten to the point now that I think the expectations are a bit higher. But, yeah, I think eight is probably the most likely right now. We have five games left against all pretty solid teams, except for maybe that Arizona game. So uh, they're all winnable, but all technically losable, I guess I would say as well. Well, it's crazy is that before the season, a seven and five season, people would have been doing backflips yeah. over now, if they finish seven and five, that means that they're going to finish two and three, which is going to have people down just because you saw this Pac-12 South race up for grabs. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, exactly. That's what people are going to be frustrated about. There is a chance to win the Pac-12 South, which would have just been an unbelievable jump. I mean, from going from the basement of the conference for three or four years to winning the division in one year would have been an incredible feat. But I think people need to remember that, that it would have been an incredible feat. And if that doesn't happen in year one, that's okay. I mean, I, th- I think we've still made incredible strides uh, regardless of how things turn out, assuming we obviously get to a bowl game. With those advanced stats, they did some projections, and it's kind of crazy that right now it seems like what they're, what those stats geeks are saying is the most out- likely outcome for this football team at this moment right now is, is a 9-1 season. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. And that means we're going to beat a lot of really talented teams. So, I mean, I hope that comes to fruition, obviously. Uh, that also says we're expected to be favored in every single game down the stretch after the Stanford game here, which, I mean, people need to keep in mind. It's like you have a 60% chance of winning four games. That doesn't that doesn't mean they're expected to win all four. So you, they're expecting us to lose a game or two in there. So don't freak out too much if we don't go undefeated the rest of the way. At King underscore Jack 3 asked, do you think Christian McCaffrey will play? Will CU's trenches be able to match up with Stanford's? I asked our Stanford publisher about that, and they just don't know out there. David Shaw made some comments after their win over Notre Dame, saying that he made it seem like McCaffrey will likely be back this week. But of course, like all coaches seem to do nowadays with the culture of information, is not really saying much a whole lot this week. So that Colorado, even if McCaffrey doesn't play, has to spend all week preparing for him. And then, of course, if they knew with certainty he wasn't going to play, they could spend that time on other stuff. So... Yeah, uh, I guess I would expect him to play. doesn't seem like the injury is, you know, too severe. Um, so I think they'll try to get him back out there. It's kind of important for their season as well to have him to have him out there. Uh, I will say I'm not as worried about him this year as I was in years past because he's literally the only guy they have. That wasn't the case in years past. Uh, and our 
defensive line is a little more stout. Not going to get as many free runs, I think, into the secondary. So uh, if we have, if we just have to focus on one guy and let someone else beat us, I think I think that's a little more realistic than in years past. McCaffrey still leads the Pac-12 in rushing yards per game, but I think it's 103. It's like in the past, like his like all-purpose yards and just yards in general were mm-hmm. out of control, and that's because he's getting five yards downfield before anyone can even put a hand on him. So to go to the second part of his question, we'll see his trenches be able to match up with Stanford's for the first time and. Since they joined the conference, absolutely. It would be surprising if they didn't. Yeah, especially our defensive line versus their offensive line. I think we probably have an advantage there. Uh, they have some guys on the defensive line that are pretty solid. But our our offensive line has been terrific the past whatever many games it's been. Seven Aside games from maybe now. the first half against USC. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, all in all, pretty solid offensive line, I think, compared to most of the teams we've seen this year. So, uh, to me, at the very least, it's an even race which is considerably better than it would have been in years past. At Kumo D asked, what steps are being taken to improve special teams units? What makes this a little challenging is it's not the same reoccurring yeah. theme, right? Yeah, I mean, I, the Davis Price thing, I felt bad because I actually rewatched it on tape. He barely missed both of those. I mean, obviously they're chip shots and you shouldn't be missing them, but on the season he's 10 for 11 extra points and he's only missed one field goal as well. I mean, by and large, you'll take that, right? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a little frustrating. I think he'll probably run out there as a starting kicker again next week. He's definitely the more talented of the two. I think, he's actually, seen. they're going to roll with Chris Graham. I, really? They like the way the, the ball was popping off his foot for seemingly the first time in a really long time. I think maybe him losing that job made him realize, I better I better make the most of my opportunity if I get another one. And he did, you know, it was a small sample size. But he was kicking the ball through the end zone. I know that's at altitude. He got some hype actually on his on, on that field goal that he made, which was surprising because we hadn't seen that from him much. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think kind of we're at the point where we have two guys who are capable but not good or elite, if that's the right way to do it. Yeah. Um, and the punt return game has not been an issue all year. Obviously, that was a huge issue last week. Uh, I still I thought the one recurring issue to me is that it seems like every time we punt, it's going to get blocked. I mean, we didn't have one blocked last week, but there were a couple that were pretty close. They're not giving Kenny a whole lot of time to get a good foot on the ball. That's the one issue. Uh, I think, obviously, first year without a special teams coordinator, there's some kinks to work out. I think as the talent level improves, though, this will get better and better. I mean, it's definitely an issue right now, but it hasn't really affected our wins and losses, so I'm trying not to overreact too much to it. It is definitely a concern, though. Answering his question head-on, in terms of the kickers, yeah, you, you rep them in practice. You try to put as much pressure on them, but honestly... There's not a whole lot you're going to do there because it comes down to leg talent. And I think Davis Price will be pretty good down the line. This is a kid that should have been redshirting right now. Yeah. I, 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 you don't do the Dan Hawkins thing where you turn your back on them when they go out there to kick. But you just got to kind of cross your fingers every time they go out there. And it, it's yeah. kind of honestly, aside, I, you don't ever want to see extra points blocked. But from the field goals, since Diego Gonzalez went out, honestly, they've done about as well as they – Probably yeah, could. Better, I would say better. If you watch than them expected. in pregame, I mean. Yeah, it's been be- it's been better than expected, honestly, for me so far. I mean, we've missed an extra point. I think maybe two and a, and a field goal. That's not three extra world. points blocked. Or, or well, missed. right. That's just not. Yeah, okay. but, but since they since Graham got um, taken off the extra points, Price was pretty good. So I mean, I guess if they go back to Graham, they can. But I thought Price has been pretty solid outside of struggling a bit in this last game. In terms of punting, uh, I mean, I don't know. What, what, what can you do to fix that? Because I think Alex Kinney now is more focused about getting the ball out because he's so paranoid about 
at getting blocked, that he's not getting the hang time and distance that he wants. Oh, 100%. I don't know why they continue to use the formation they are. Uh, just do a pump pro formation. He's not an athletic guy. No one's afraid of us running a fake, especially when we're up by 20 points. Just run a, a pro personnel out there. He'll get a little more time, let him kick the ball. I mean, if he, if he gets a good foot on the ball, he destroys it, but he hasn't enough time to do so. At William Bonney asked, the absence of a tight end as a pass-catching threat in this offense. Well, that's a bad timing on this question because they tried on the same drive to get that done with the Jay McIntyre trick play throwing down to Irwin, and it looked like it wasn't a perfect pass. It looked oh, like it should have been brought in, though. Oh, for sure, 100%. He, he faded away from the ball as it approached yeah. him. And then Dylan Keeney had to drop the, a ball that was right where yeah. it needed to be. Yep, 100%. I mean, at some point, they get those opportunities. you got to come through. Uh, honestly, though, they're doing an, they have an unsung hero-type job blocking inside. Even Keeney has been good in that role when he's been out there. Uh, Irwin, obviously, is a lead in that role. There hasn't been a whole lot of concern or issues, I think, about those guys and their playing time. They, they know their role, and I think they're enjoying that role. So to me, it's, it's not a part of our offense right now. We have a lot of weapons that have been successful. Let's just enjoy those. Any coincidence you think those plays with Josh Follow being in the stands? Oh, no. I was going to say they started. They ran those plays for Jay McIntyre because he was struggling so much on oh, special no. teams. I was going to ask, do you think it had anything to do with J- J- Josh Follow being in the crowd? You probably don't uh, make play calls just because of one recruit. But. I mean, maybe to some degree. I, I don't know, though. I mean, you, you kind of had a feeling they were going to have something going on with the tight end. At some point, they're going to take a shot yeah. down the middle. Uh, maybe. But I think that... Josh Fowler talked about when they did film review, it was with his Texas Tech offense and how they used those guys, which is probably smart. Um, I can't. Jason Morrow is who I was trying to think of. It was a, a Texas Tech, probably before Cheverini's time, but kind of how maybe he expects to use him, uh, one of those tight ends in the future, was a great player for Texas Tech. And this is beating a dead horse at this point, but I got to bring it up for this point is George Frazier dropping that ball. Uh, he's, you know, kind of an H back tight end type in the end zone in the Michigan game. And then them dropping those passes last week. I would say at this point, I'm fine with them abandoning that, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's They've not, got other things that are working. It's not working out. Yeah, exactly. they got a few other weapons they can go to. <laughs> Might as well stick with the ones that are catching the rock. And last year, Sean Irwin, we remember some of those remarkable catches, but there were only a handful of them throughout the season. It's not like they were doing that last year either. It's not like something they've totally got, gone away from with Darren Cheverini coming in. It was something that they weren't necessarily doing a ton of anyways. Yeah. All right, moving along, at CU at Folsom, wants to know who wins a game between the 2005 Buffs or the 2016 Buffs. I don't see this 2016 Buffs losing a game 70-3 to against anybody. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, I will say this. The first half of that season was pretty magical. They were destroying everybody in 2005. But the second half was equally as bad. They got destroyed by everybody. I think they started 6-1 and one or... 7-2 or something like that, and then lost all the remaining of their games by a pretty hefty margin. Gary Barnett had a contract extension on his desk before that Iowa State game. Yeah, so yeah, it was Iowa State and Nebraska. They got smoked in both of those Texas, games. Yeah. Texas, obviously, they got smoked. There was one other game, too, that they got blasted in, I want to say. Yeah, that, it fell apart quick, but I, I, it was my freshman year, so I remember a lot of those games. They had Missouri come in that year at some point when they were ranked, and we absolutely demolished them, and I was like, wow, this team is pretty good. That was pretty much the end of that. Uh, I will say there's more talent on this team. I think I think that's pretty much a guarantee. I think offensively especially, we have more weapons. Um, you're going to see more all-conference guys. I think the trenches on that 2000, or especially on offense, the 2005 team had more talent probably. 
but uh, from a wide receiver's perspective and a secondary perspective, definitely this, this, this bunch. I'll say the 2016 Buffs win that football game 31-27. to Okay. Yeah, I would, I would even go full, full longer than that. I'd say probably 30-17. Okay. At Kilkenny, 70 asked, How concerned should we be about Tyler Lytle's visit to Indiana this weekend? Still scarred by the Davis-Webb fiasco. At Kirk P. Schmidt also asked about Tyler Lytle. You want to lead off here, Tyler? I'm so. This is so ridiculous. Like, if you really want, if you want to go to Indiana, man, have fun. Okay. Look at all the kids that are signing with this team right now. With the offensive weapons that are coming back and in the in the pipeline. Like, if you really want to go play football for Indiana, have a good time. It's so weird, Tyler, because. The quarterback fiasco, as he used that word fiasco, and it really has been when you include Sharon Jones, Davis yeah. Webb, and now the Tyler Lytle situation. Kate Apsay. <laughs> but then at the same time, you're looking at Steven Montez emergence, you like what Sam Neuer's done, and you're super excited about the future of the position. It's just kind of crazy the last year, all, all the moving pieces at the quarterback position. Yeah, and somehow it's worked out. Really well for us. <laughs> Two of the probably top 25 quarterbacks in the country statistically playing for the team this year. So, honestly, I trust this. I trust these guys to find someone who can help us. I think Lytle would be smart to stay here. I think in the end he probably will. But it was definitely a move that I was, I was just like, all right, man, have fun. Do what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, every kid has the right to go through this process and to explore their options. And no one's complaining right now that Xavier Newman decided to flip from Texas, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to play that game, then you've got to accept that other teams are going to still recruit your commits. What I don't, what I don't understand from the Tyler Lytle side is the logic behind him looking around. There's, you know, the situation where he sees them running their quarterback a lot this year, and going, well, that doesn't really suit my strength. Well. Sam Neuer, if he's ever a starting quarterback, is not going to be right. run a lot. They're doing that because Cephal Lufau and Steven Montez are really good at running for the football. And they're 250 pounds. <laughs> so if Tyler they, Lytle comes, yeah. if he's a starting quarterback, they're not running that the, the same offense. That no, I agree. Now. I think what he's looking at the wrong way, and that Cheverini will do whatever it takes to put his best foot forward offensively. Whether that means we can guarantee ourselves four or five yards if we're running quarterbacks, or if we have a dude who can hit this throw, we're going to run this route. If Sam Neuer's out there or if Tyler Lytle's out there, they're not going to be running these plays. They'll use what works. I think that's what makes Chevrini so special is he's not tied into one specific philosophy. And then with Steven Montez's emergence, that should not scare him off because A, there's two years of separation between them. B, those were really bad defenses. He piled those stats again. And yeah, I think if you're putting Vegas odds on who's going to be their starting quarterback next year, without question, Steven Montez is the odds-on favorite there. But nothing's been the keys of this offense to the future have not been handed to him yet. No, and there aren't a whole lot of programs in the country you're going to come in and play at as true freshmen. Not ones that have any talent anyway. I mean, most of the guys who are playing true freshmen, they're either a five star, which Lytle is not, or they're a team that's really struggling and don't have a better option, and they're just getting him ready for the future. I mean, if that's what you want to be a part of, that's fine. But don't be surprised that a team that's performing as well as we have and has been selling the fact that we're getting better and better has a quarterback that's pretty good in front of you. Yep. At Victor Romero asked, with four offensive line now in the mix, are the Buffs still targeting more big men in this upcoming class? 
Yet to be determined, there is a chance that this is it for offensive linemen. I don't definitely don't think you need another interior guy, which like like a Casey Roddick. Yeah, it seems like he uh, waited his turn and took too long. Maybe he took some advice from Davis Webb. Decided Cal is going to be better. Look at how that's turning out for you. So I mean, maybe a tackle, depending if you can get like a blue chip yeah. or light. Yeah, if you if you find somebody who's available. I mean, there's a lot of really big time programs that are going to be losing coaches this off season. I think there's going to be there's probably never going to be as much talent as there is available in January this year. So I think I'm I'm hoping that they'll save a few spots and see if they can get a few of those guys to come in and take a look. I mean, if we do end up nine and three, we're going to be highly sought after. I bet we could get some get some looks at from some guys you would never expect. At Alex W. Roth asked, how many commits will we get from last weekend's official and unofficial visits? Well, they already got two. Got two so far. Yeah, I mean, the unofficial visits, I probably couldn't name all the guys off the top of my head. There's a lot of 2018 kids, right. so it's kind of hard to answer this question right. with, like, a lot of authority. Yeah, I mean, Ray lot, Robinson, I expect Ray to be Robinson, a Ray Robinson, yeah, a couple of the other in-state kids. I'm not sure who showed up besides Robinson. Uh, here. Yes, he was. Yeah, I mean, Chad Muma, a kid they have an offer, but he's a three-star 2018 kid. So there's just a, a, too, yeah. too much unknown with those 2018 a lot officials. Of the DeSoto 18s. I mean, yeah. at this point, they're all coming to Colorado, so you'd think there'd be some interest there. Out of the 17 kids, man, between Cotton, Dimitri Moore, Josh Fallow, I mean, you have to feel pretty good about getting one of those guys at least. So I would say at least three. Well, the crazy thing there is if you get Cotton – you probably get follow. If you get follow, you probably get cotton. If you don't, you might. It's kind of maybe an all or nothing with those two. Yeah. Dimitri Moore, I think I would expect him to, to commit to the buffs at this point. We'll see. So, I'm sorry, we don't have a specific number for you. It's just kind of hard, but I think we kind yeah, of. There's always out. a lot of moving parts. At Win For Me asked, How many scholarships can CU offer? How does CU figure out who it is going to accept and who will it pass on? So, I think in the neighborhood of 28, and you go, Well, you can't sign more than 25, right? Well, no, you can, if you got early enrollees, some mid-year JC guys, you can count them back to last year because they had a small class last year. So you got four high school guys that are expected to early enroll. You got Shamar Hamilton coming in. You're definitely going to sign more than 25. There's no question there. You might even get close to 30. Yeah, which would be awesome. I mean, especially with the momentum we have right now, getting in as many talented kids as you can would be huge. Yeah, I think 28 to 30 is probably the right target area right now. Uh, depends. If we get a few more kids who can come in early, sweet. I mean, that even makes the numbers even bigger. So we'll see. And you never know about attrition. Can't imagine too many people leaving in season at this point. But it seems like we always have a few people here and there that leave in the off season. So, do you think they're asking Santa for a mid-year junior college, three hundred and fifty-pound nose yes, tackle? I am for sure. <laughs> No question. At Dawinator asked, will Colorado finish top 25 on the field and in recruiting? Uh, um, I guess based on my expectations of 8-4, and four, probably not. It'd be close. Uh, it depends on who the wins and losses are. I would say probably not right now. And in ter- just, just because we have such a huge class, I think, yeah, it's very realistic for us to expect us to finish top 25 uh, in recruiting at this point. I'm surprised you don't think Colorado. I mean, they've obviously certainly played like one of the top 25 teams in the country, and there's no one left on the schedule that's really scaring you. Yeah, I mean, if they go eight and four, though, they'll have lost. I mean, it'd be close. There, some teams get in at eight and four. It just depends on how the division shakes out. I mean, if they if they go eight and four and are tied for first in the division at six and three, then probably. 
I'm going to say they finished 22nd on the field and 23rd in recruiting. All right. Hold me to that. That would be a heck of a year, would it not? It would. At Matt Stevenson 11. Oh, this should be fun. He says, discuss this, please, and give your opinion on if you think he's being serious. <laughs> and he linked to Matt Stevens' article in the Colorado and the headline, new goal for Colorado State, join the Pac-12. I'm just setting this up on a tee for you, Tyler. You sure you don't want to go first? Pull, pull out your driver. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you allowing me to do this? I'm allowing you to do it. The floor is yours. The man's an idiot. And yes, he's 100% serious. He will do anything and whatever it takes to spin CSU in a positive light. He doesn't care if he looks stupid. doesn't care if it sounds stupid. He's going to put it on paper because that's what he does. Matt Stevens is the worst. I refuse to read this article. <laughs> I will pay attention to CSU for roughly a week and a half before the Rocky Mountain Showdown and for about three hours after the game, and then that's it. And it's not anything – I have nothing against CSU. I don't cheer for CSU. I don't cheer against them. It's Mountain West football. Sometimes can be like watching paint dry. I'm just not going <laughs> to spend a whole lot of time worrying about it. Yeah, I mean, I try to avoid CSU as well, but – I have been noticing a lot of, a lot of people on uh, CSU Twitter talking about the rises limp and stuff every time we lose a game. But we're 5 and 2, we're basically ranked. What is CSU's record? I don't even three know. And, they're 3 and 4. Okay. And uh, they they signed they signed one three-star since June. So, keep on talking, boys. On that note, we'll move along to a question from at always cromulent. Power rank your top five tailgate foods, please. He wanted us to both do it. I'm out of the tailgate, man. That's because of my job. It kind of sucks. No one's uh, playing a violin for me, though. I do have a pretty <laughs> sweet job. Yeah, yeah. But definitely. Tyler, you are the definitely the go-to tailgate food guy here. So I'm bring sure. It uh, we try. We do mostly the same thing. So I guess what I'll say is there has to be jalapeno poppers. Okay. And there has to be cheddar worst. Those are my two mandatories every single week. Besides that, we try to switch things up. I'll bring stuff from work sometimes. So if we do that, a lot of wings, uh, Southwest egg rolls is usually a pretty. He good wants a specific well. top five here, I'm Tyler. Not, okay, fine. <laughs> Number one, Cheddarwurst. Number two, Jalapeno poppers. Okay. Those are the only two I really care about. Number three, Buffalo wings. Number four. Cheeseburgers, number five. Hmm. Number five. I'll throw one in there. This was my specialty back in my tailgate days. Is the jalapeno cream cheeseburger? You already put cheeseburgers on this, but this is a very specific burger. It's a combination. And you cannot. Poppers. You can't go healthy on this. You can't get the reduced fat cream cheese. You got to go full on. <laughs> and uh, my brother's bar in Denver does a really good. Jalapeno uh, cream cheeseburger, but that that I would always have people uh, begging for me to make those. Yeah, um, I, I would, I'm not going to say number five because most people think it's sacrilege. Bring it. No, <laughs> no. Actually, we don't ever do it. But the only reason that we don't do it is because everyone else gets mad at me. But if I could have buffalo meat at every tailgate, I would. I had never had a bison burger so until cold. I had lunch with a, a former buff. A former Buff great, and he he told me that I had to order it, and I gotta admit it was pretty pretty it's damn awesome. good. So obviously I get why people are like, no, you can't do that. 
but it's awesome. So if it was up to me, that would be. If it was up to you, up. you'd be eating Ralphie every every yes. game day up in Boulder. Sorry, Ralphie, but if it mean if if uh, eating you means we get to be five and two every year through seven games, I'm on board. <laughs> All right, we're in the uh, power rank mode, which transitions us into your Pac-12 power rankings. Yeah, exciting time of the day. You know what I'm saying. All right, got to open up the notes here. All right, from 12 to 1. Oregon. Wow, okay. Yeah. Okay, number 12. I don't, um, we talked, I think I had them 12 last week as well, and the reason between Oregon and Arizona are obviously the clear-cut two worst at this point. But Arizona took Washington to, Oregon, uh, to overtime, and Oregon most certainly did not. So that's my tiebreaker there. So Arizona... Can I say I disagree? Yeah, hundred percent. I would put Arizona twelve. That's. I mean, I would say they're probably the least talented team. But Brandon Dawkins is back. We'll see how they play with him back now. Okay. And Oregon has Cal this week, and if you can't beat Cal, you're staying at number twelve. Fair warning. Okay. All right. So Cal's number ten. Uh, slightly biased, probably, but they lost to Oregon State, and this has to be, have some semblance of organization. So Oregon State. Number nine. Uh, actually been really happy with how they've played the last couple weeks. Played Utah really tough. Making us look good. Respect. Still think they have dope colors. It's too bad they're named the Beavers. Everything else is sweet about Oregon State. Always had a soft spot. Uh, UCLA, number eight. No Josh Rosen. They look like they're completely hapless. Nothing to say about them. Uh, if anybody saw the Gabe Marks comments about UCLA. Classic. <laughs> so good. One of my favorite things that's ever been said, especially just like how he was saying it. Oh man, so much fun. Well, he, Go look those up. he goes, he called them, he just said they're, they're being kind of douchey, right? Yeah. And then he looks over to the moderator and says, can I say that? Wait, no, no, don't cut that out. <laughs> yeah, so that was a lot. But that was all about pregame warm-ups. UCLA apparently came on their side yeah, of the field. Is that what sparked that yeah, comment? Yeah, they've done it multiple years in a row, I guess. Okay. And he just went on a rant about how it was it, they were trying to be tough, which means they're not tough. Yeah, that was awesome. I loved it. Number seven. Last week's foe, Arizona State. That team was 5-1. and one. They must have played some really awful football teams because they did not look good. Kalen Balazs, complete non-factor. Running game in general, complete non-factor. Um, and they just had nobody open in the passing game. They looked like they had no idea what to do offensively the entire game. And before you move on, I predicted that Colorado would beat Arizona State by 24 points. And... You should have seen some of the name calling that was uh, in my direction on the Arizona State Scout Premium Board. Oh yeah, I actually kind of enjoyed you it. Go over, you should go over there and just be like, "Told you so." Didn't hit? Didn't their scout guy predict a twenty-four point win too? <clears throat> Something like 25. that. But of course, 30, I'm, I'm, 30, the, I'm the enemy guy, right? So they're going to go after me. But you know what? I take more enjoyment out of not even having to go back to their board. Yeah, that's true. You should I would, just send me over there. Okay. Dude, just ra- rally the troops. All right. So number seven, Arizona State. I don't know if I told you what number they were. Number six, Stanford opponent this week. Uh, solid win against Notre Dame. Still ugly performance though. Without Christian McCaffrey, it's hard to hard to say they got anything going on up there at the current moment. Number five, Washington State just blew out Stanford pretty recently here. Uh, had a had a win against UCLA last week that was. Honestly, pretty ugly, considering UCLA didn't have Josh Rosen in the game. Uh, pretty ugly game overall, so I dropped them a couple spots despite winning 
more had more to do with how the other teams had performed than anything else, really. Um, Colorado, I had at number four. Dominating performance against Arizona State. Uh, we Obviously, we spent the whole show talking about them. Won't go into too much detail there. Three, USC, a uh, team that I put ahead of them simply because they have the head-to-head. Uh, they've looked really solid the past few weeks. They look like they've gotten pretty comfortable. Uh, and then I have Utah, too. Obviously, beat USC. Uh, even though they shouldn't have their 6-1 at this point, there's not a whole lot of other options up there in the conference. They're winning games, so they get the nod at number two for me. And number one, the most obvious pick of all time, Washington. They'd probably be like one through seven if you allowed me to do that. So Utah's ranked 19th right now. Uh-huh. So the AP voters agree with you. I don't what know in the world they... have they done better than Colorado? Yeah, see, I don't know if they actually agree with you so much as they're 6-1 and one and they feel obligated to. There's a couple teams like that. I mean, Nebraska's the same way. Hasn't beaten a damn soul um, undefeated in the top 10. I think they're like number 8 or 9 right now. I think you'll see as soon as those teams lose, they'll drop off pretty substantially. Uh, but there honestly isn't a whole lot of teams with great winning records at this point across the country. So I think these guys are just sitting up there in the polls because they haven't lost. Okay. I mean, you can't really, you know, I think the argument is always, oh, well, you can't help if everybody you play sucks, which, I mean, in college you kind of can, especially at this point in the season when you get to choose your non-conference. When you're Baylor. Yeah, exactly. So I think as soon as those teams lose, they'll fall off pretty substantially. And you see a team like Colorado who's got great losses, also some decent wins, but doesn't play in the SEC they don't get as much love. I mean, you look at a team like LSU, who's literally beaten me and you in football this year, and they're ranked. It's like, okay, whatever. It's funny. Utah plays at UCLA this year, and David Woods, who does that, uh, what do they call it, the Podcast of Champions, Mm -hmm. he was uh, going on a rant on their show about the fact that he's so frustrated that he's got to cover that game instead of being able to watch the Stanford-CU game, which those guys were talking about being the best Pac-12 game, yet it's on at noon Pacific, 1 p.m. Mountain, on Pac-12 Network again. Yeah. Uh, at least next week's Thursday, so we have to be on national TV. Well, right. that's not next week, but the next time we play, that might be our only uh, non-Pac-12 game of the year, because who would want to watch the Colorado Buffaloes play? It's not like their offense is dynamic or anything. Philip Lindsay, on that note, becomes the third buff in seven weeks to win Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week honors. That game was so much fun for me. I was going nuts. I love Philip Lindsay. He what was, that, what that. was happening uh, during that 70-yard touchdown? Can we call it a scamper? Okay, so I'm not even going to lie. There's the first play of the second half. Like, I wasn't even fully focused yet. Oh, no. Like, they went up to the – no, I saw I saw him, like, break through the hole, the hole but I was just like, oh, damn. <laughs> I better pay attention. Breaks that tackle, weaves his way. That dude's chasing him, kind of catching him. Zooms left at the last minute. Good night. I was just screaming, not a home run hitter, for like 10 minutes after that. Tell me more about how he's not a home run hitter. That, that question was uh, absent uh, from our mailbag this week. Oh, uh, yeah. Weird. Let's not pretend that he's a home run hitter, He's though. not, but he's capable. Dude, he's good. I'm just tired of it. He's a good player. And he's a good teammate. He, brought, he goes awesome. in the locker room, ushers all of his offense linemen, and I'll be honest, those post-game press conferences, even the Tuesday press conferences, are like usually way too buttoned up. Everyone's like got this serious voice and there's serious answers, and you never get like that honest. Well, aside from McIntyre kind of tearing up talking about Gilm, usually you don't get emotion in those. But when those guys came in there, I was like, okay, this is gonna be fun. 
and uh, did not disappoint. We had Jeremy Irwin talking about how Phil's slow ass finally broke a big one. <laughs> uh, you had uh, Alex Kelly sharing that Cepho Lufau has soft hands. <laughs> it was it was a I it was a good time. One. You gotta go back. We actually have the video of that on buffstampede.com. And I started like rolling it before the questions even came in because you can hear them jarring about who's gonna sit where. It's it's a great video. It's it's fun times. <laughs> Former buff, great. Cordell Stewart received his degree from CU. Always cool. Daniel Graham did that last year. Cool mm-hmm. cool to see those guys come back. Yeah, we had actually seen Cordell on campus a bunch this summer because we knew that he was taking classes. So it's cool to see that actually done. It's been around the program a lot lately. Um, always great to have those big-time NFL names. Yeah. You didn't get a chance to see the open men's basketball scrimmage. Uh, I was there. A lot of uh, three-point shooting in that game. A lot The ball was going in from those shooters. Uh, certainly... We've seen kind of a shift in this program a couple years ago. We talked about how no one could shoot. Now it seems like everybody on the floor has the ability to shoot the basketball, even seven-foot Dallas Walton. Again, that was the first shot made in that scrimmage was a three-pointer from him. Yes. Um, Love it. It's Again, it goes back to, I think, concerns about this team is at the point guard position, when other teams go on runs this year, you still don't have that guy that's a calming influence over that team. Uh, I wonder who's going to lead this team on game day. The depth is there. Tad Boyle is complaining about the defense early in the preseason. That's not always. That's yeah, always every is. year. Yeah, <laughs> and it always works out. Even when we don't have guys that are talented defensively, statistically we're pretty solid on yeah. defense. So, I mean, no West Gordon in that scrimmage. That obviously hurts your defense right. as well. Uh, I, I didn't get to see it, so I guess the one question I would have for you is: Did you see? Derek White handling the ball a lot offensively because I would think that he would be that calming influence, a guy they're going to ask to run the offense a lot. Yeah, I think he needs to step up as a leader because he's obviously got the credibility on the court with his ability to become that. I, I do love he, when he drives, he is under control and he's good at getting contact, good at getting to the free throw line. That is a good point. When other teams are going on stretches, remember Spencer Dinwiddie would always kind of do that. He would mm-hmm. be able to get to the free throw line. It would kind of settle everybody down. You get a couple points up on the board. I do think that is something that you're going to see a lot from him this year. Um, Trying to think of what else stood out to me in that scrimmage. Going back to Dallas Walton, it's, he is so comfortable defensively in rebounding, but so uncomfortable when he gets the ball thrown into him in the post. Mm-hmm. He can make that jump shot when he's open on the perimeter, but he is going to be such a work in progress in the post offensively. Yeah, I mean, that's not honestly a huge surprise. He grew a lot through his two ACL injuries. I mean, when he when he first came onto the scene, he was kind of a slasher. Wasn't really as big of a post. He was never a post-up player until he gained enough weight and had two ACL tears, and he was kind of limited into that post role just because he was so much bigger and had gained so much weight. Um I think he'll get he'll get there with time. I think the fact that he's already a defensive presence is huge for the program. Uh, having that seven footer who can deflect shots and alter shots when people go to the paint is huge. I don't think he's going to have an impact this season, but uh, he's a guy I think that will definitely be an impactful player by junior or senior year. Another thing that stood out to me was Tory Miller again improving his his body in the off season. He's a lot bouncier. He gets up and down the court a lot faster than he used to, which was a good sight there. Thomas Akizili, the shot is not as improved as you wanted to see from him. That was obviously the biggest weakness of his game. Mm-hmm. Still, it just comes in a little too hard. He's hitting the back rim all the time on his jump shots. Yeah, I mean, obviously him improving to like a 37, 39, somewhere percent three-point shooter would be huge. I don't know if you'll see that this year, but I do think that he's going to be a lot of fun to watch in the open court with a few of these guys. George King, um, 
Derek White, Wes Gordon. I think they're going to see some highlight plays coming between those guys. Bryce Peters, too. Josh Fortune's role will diminish a little bit in terms of stats, but I think he's actually going to be a much more efficient player this yeah. year. They're not going to ask him to do a lot like they did last year. He's going to be a guy out there just catch and shoot, and uh, I think that's going to help his game in terms of being, again, more efficient versus last year when he forced the issue too much of the time. Yeah, definitely. I think offensively his numbers might suffer a little bit uh, in terms of overall shots, but I think his, his percentages will go up. Uh, he's really good as a spot-up shooter. I think if he sticks to that, he's going to be tremendous help for us this season. But he's also probably going to be our best defender on the perimeter. He can focus on that a little bit more this year. And if he can have a big impact for us on that end, that'd be huge, especially since he's likely to come off the bench. And lastly, talking about Dominique Collier, it's like he's just good enough to keep that starting point guard job. But there's going to be times when you get frustrated with him this year. Yeah, nothing new there. But again, he's, if he can just somehow, maybe maybe just getting him off the ball a little bit more will help at times. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's just got to, oh, I say this every single time, if, if he can be a guy who focuses on getting other people involved when he gets into the paint rather than trying to put up shots on seven-footers, I think he'll be really solid for us. I think defensively he's a little underrated, honestly. He's, he's done some good things there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy that, is not going to be a top two or three point guard in the Pac-12. If he can be a top six guy, that would be awesome. Last guy I got to mention, Bryce Peters. He had this fast break dunk that was like, okay, yeah, none, none of the other point guards on this team can do anything <laughs> like that. He's he's going to be a pretty good, darn good player down the road, um, and I think he will get quite a bit of run this year because he will he has that willingness defensively to get after it. Mm-hmm. So I'm headed out to San Francisco Friday morning. We've got Pac-12 men's basketball media day. That should be fun, especially given that Wesley Gordon is representing the University of Colorado. <laughs> Look forward to uh, some of his comments out there. Uh, that should be fun. And then, obviously, uh, the next day I'll be out there to cover the game out there in Palo Alto. One of my favorite road trips, the crowd there, as I've said in the past, that Stanford fan base never deserved that team to be very good because they're just so apathetic and laid back. Uh, they're not into it, but just the environment out there, the weather, of course, is usually very consistent and nice, and uh, I enjoy that road trip. Tyler, uh, give me your thoughts on the Stanford tree. Uh, so remember that time that you were talking about how you were like afraid of clowns <laughs> and you were going to go buy pepper spray? Yeah, yeah. That's how I feel about the Stanford tree. <laughs> <laughs> like that stupid smile. That's that pretty has. raw emotion Dude, right there. it's so creepy. That tree is so creepy. I just want to put ornaments on it. <laughs> To make it less creepy. Poison ornaments? <laughs> no, like Christmas ornaments. Okay. That's what we're going to, hopefully that's what we can do. That's what all the all the CU players should run out of the tunnel with an ornament <laughs> and run right up to the Stanford tree and put it on him. It's not even like their official mascot. It's like the band's mascot, but it gets a whole lot of run. I mean, more run than most like official mascots do. What are you supposed to do though if you're Stanford and your, your nickname is, is a color? Just use the bird, man. No one will think twice. Just use the bird. Yeah, for a, a really smart institution, <laughs> it's kind of a, a stupid nickname. Yes, but a much stupider mascot. The campus is pretty nice. Campus is awesome. Stanford is beautiful. So, what do you think, Tyler? Is that it? You got yeah, any definitely. other thoughts rattling around up there? No, oh, man. Just happy to see Todd Graham wallow away in his sorrows. He's, he's, lost, the, he's lost the Britney Spears mic. 
And I think he's lost the armbands. I didn't see those. At least during pregame, he didn't have them on. Did he put them for, for the game day? He's trying to make himself a better version of himself. He's still got those lame yeah. boots. He's, he's, he's too far gone off. for me. Too far gone. He's one of my least favorite humans in the world. He's not really on the hot seat or anything, though, is he? Probably not. I mean, they only have to win one more game to be bowl eligible. It's yeah. surprising. I mean, they were expected to go about 6-6 six and six this year anyway, so unless they lose the rest of their games, which they play Arizona, so that seems unlikely. Clay Helton um, seems to have saved his job here recently. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how they end up. I mean, if they go 6-3 and three in the South, that would, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world, I don't think, in terms of their overall record. I mean, if they beat Notre Dame, that would put them at 8-4. and four. I mean, it's not a huge season, but not a complete disaster. I mean, they were going to play the top five most difficult schedule in the country. So, Yeah, I'm just kind of going down here now. Jim Mora, you think, is fine unless – I mean, I don't think he's getting an NFL job based off this season. Rich Rodriguez, he might be a little bit on on a warm seat, but he's done enough there. I feel like early in his tenure to yeah. I mean, the only if he leaves, it'll be for another job, not because he gets fired. I mean, it seems like every year someone else is trying to hire him away. Kyle Whittingham has obviously done great things there at Utah. He's fine. Chris Peterson, you think is going to be the Pac-12 Coach of the Year unless it's Mike McIntyre? Who knows? Mike Leach is rebounded after that rough start. He's mm-hmm. fine. David Shaw's not going anywhere unless he goes for another job. Sonny Dykes? I mean, I think it'll be kind of early. There wasn't a whole lot of expectation around them this year. He's got to put this together is, a season pretty soon, though. This is year two. He came in with McIntyre. Oh, really? Four. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's definitely some... We'll see how they finish out. There's definitely some potential for him to be gone, I would say. Uh, at uh, Oregon State, Anderson's fine. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're they, okay. they look already improved. I mean, they're go- they're heading in the right direction, I feel like. So is Mark Helfrich's seat the hottest of any, any coach in the conference? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You have to feel pretty comfortable in saying that, yes, it is. Uh, I mean, they've gone from a team that just out-talented you on every single – they don't even look like they're more talented than a lot of the teams this year. I mean, what are they going to do moving forward? Their recruiting classes last few years have kind of trended down. This year's is even less impressive than the years before. Um, and if they don't make a bowl game, a lot of those guys I would think are going to consider other schools. So Yeah. They still have Phil Knight and, and Nike and all that stuff. I could see them consistently being like they were under Bilotti. You know, they're in the mix. They're in the discussion. They're going to bowl games. But when you lose that kind of perennial powerhouse status and you don't have talent in your backyard, it's really tough to get it back. Yeah. I mean, I guess just like any other thing, like Jersey trends change in life. And I feel, I feel like two or three years ago it was Oregon's kind of peak, like, oh, these jerseys are dope. Like, no one really talks about their jerseys being that great anymore. There are so many other They're programs. wearing socks that, like, replicated Yeah, but duck, everyone hated you know. them. No, I, no, I'm saying yeah. they jumped the shark <laughs> yeah, in that sense. Yes, yeah, exactly. And a lot of other teams around the country are now starting to have more and more common. Like, it's no longer just Oregon that does this kind of stuff. I think they're kind of losing their luster there. Yeah. All right, well, you have a meeting to get to, Tyler, and uh, I've got some other stuff to do on the website. So, We'll sign off now. I think it was a good show, Tyler. I hope so. Thanks for listening. We love you guys.